Hi, I'm Sarah Shea. And I'm Strangely Duesberg. Welcome to the Pilot House. A podcast where we watch all the shows we missed the first time around. And try to figure out where the heck they were going with this. Okay, so. What we know about Rain. I know that this show is about Mary, Queen of Scots. And I think it starts with her life leading up to her becoming the Queen of the Scots. I don't know that much about Mary, Queen of Scots historically uh, either. So all I know about this show is that it's a Netflix show and that one of my friends watched it and was infuriated by how inaccurate the costumes were. Oh, well, I like I, you know, I typed it into Netflix and just to see how many seasons and sort of get that info. And the screenshots that Netflix was displaying inclined me to believe that this is in the same genre as there was that show, The Tudors, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, like the, I don't know. There's like a, I want to come up with a word for this genre because it's like historical fiction mm. shows, sexy corset times, sort of like court in sexy corset times historical intrigue shows. Mm-hmm. Yep, which take place in the chunk of time before the sweet outfit old timey days. Yeah. With shows like Ripper Street. So this was before, this is the, the epic before that. Yeah, before the, when the tweed hits the cobblestones, we have uh, Sexy Corset Dance. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, a friend of mine was just like, I think he live tweeted watching the pilot or something and was just going nuts over how infuriatingly inaccurate all of the costumes were, which knowing that ahead of time, I think I'm going to enjoy that. Also, I think they do some of that stuff yeah. where they use a lot of like modern music for the background music, which sometimes that really bugs me. Ooh, yeah. Like, uh, oh, what was that movie with 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 with, with Kirsten Na- Dunst? Oh, I was about to say Knight's Tale. That's the most infuriating one for me. Oh yes, Knight's Knight's Tale. Knight's they were like Tale, aggressively mixing in. Oh, like the Queen song. Yeah, that was actually we rocky that was everybody in the bleachers. Okay, that part was actually a little bit funny. It's the scene where they're at like a big court ball and they're doing they're about to do like a big dance and they try to do they do it to like a whatever whenever that movie came out late 90s, early 2000s, like pop punk song or some shit yeah. and they make the dance yeah. fit the music even though they're kind of trying to base it on like an old court dance where people like danced around each other more than with each other but like ugh. and Shannon Sossman's hair was all modern I don't know I remember hating them oh. <laughs> for that reason specifically but hopefully this one will be entertaining hopefully there'll be some fun needle drops yes yeah. we'll see all right well let's find yeah, it yeah let's go find it let's go find it what <laughs> let's go watch it let's go out and expose our faces to the rain <laughs> sure rain let's start with a quick one sentence hot take from each of us strangely go i did not stop laughing the entire time this was unfurling in front of me i this is bizarre beyond comprehension okay you need to clarify it's not yeah, a comedy sorry it's it's <laughs> it's not a comedy like, that's not a compliment there are just so many bizarre choices being made it fascinates me it repulses me it draws me i've got a lot to say yeah. sarah I could totally get behind ridiculous, overdramatic, sexually inaccurate court intrigue historical shit, but not like this. <laughs> like, I have to apologize for calling Lost Girl hot garbage, 
it, which I meant affectionately, because this show is actual hot garbage. <laughs> like, we thought that Lost Girl was a CW show, and, like, this is just, this, an actual CW show, just shows how wrong we were. This is a real CW show. CW is like, excuse me, that's Canadian nonsense. We'll show you how the CW does it. Let us move on to uh, what we got wrong about our uh, what we know. And I think the only thing that I was actually wrong about is I thought the show was about, I said I thought maybe it was about her leading up to her becoming Queen of Scotland. But mm-hmm. of, of course it's leading up to her becoming, uh, marrying the uh, heir apparent to the throne of France because she actually became the Queen of Scotland when she was like six days old because her dad died. Right. And it's, she's never actually reigned. It's been ruled by regents since she was, she's like, 15. Although, in what way she's the Queen of Scotland is unclear because she hasn't been back to Scotland since she was like a right. tiny baby. Right. And she has it's a unclear. very English accent. We'll, we'll get into that. Oh, God. So, yeah, that's the only thing that we were wrong about, I think, right? Yeah. Otherwise, we got it pretty right. It was It's a sexy, CW, historical, super inaccurate show. This is a CW show, as we uh-huh. said. Ran for five seasons from 2013 to 2017. It was co-created by Laurie McCarthy and Stephanie Sengupta, neither of whom had done a lot before this. A quote I found online was, uh, part of the reason that McCarthy chose Mary Stewart as the subject is because of her life history and multiple husbands, which make her story, quote-unquote, sexier. I mm-hmm. guess. That is the reason they, they didn't go, what an interesting period of history for us to do a show about. Uh, no, they said, oh, she, she like, married a bunch of different dudes, so there's lots of opportunities for sexy shit. Yeah. All right. Strangely, would you like to uh, entertain us with a one-sentence synopsis <clears throat> of the pilot? Synopsis. I'm going to read this in my best audiobook voice that Please I've been do. practicing uh, with my own podcast, Pochmancier. Okay, rain it in. Synopsis. In 1557, a teenaged Mary, Queen of Scots, goes to live at the French court with her fiancé since childhood, Francis, heir to the French throne. Danger, sexy court intrigue, and the worst costumes in the history of period pieces follow. Well done. (laughs) We share these back and forth and sometimes add commentary or whatever, but as soon as I read this from Sarah, I was like, this is perfect. I can't (laughs) add anything to this. Nope. That's about it. All right, let's get into that recap. So we open on a mysterious bearded man walking through the forest. We later learn this is Nostradamus, who I did not know would be a character in this show. He's walking in the woods, and suddenly, blood drips on his face. Blood covers his hands. Oh, it's a dream! He wakes up and says, cryptically, She's coming! (laughs) We then go to a, a whimsical outdoor scene, where young girls are playing something like soccer in a field, and captions catch us up on the history. France, 1557. Mary, Queen of Scots, has been hidden away at a convent for her safety since age nine. Engaged since childhood to the future king of France, she awaits her return to the French court. Then there's an assassination attempt, uh, which they say is probably English Protestants. Uh, It kills the nun who has been checking Mary's food for poison, so Mary is then uh, hustled off to, it's finally time for her to go be with her, uh, her friendo, uh, Francis in France. <laughs> her friendo, Francis in France. Good job, Sarah. Well, well worded. I just wanted to point out that Nostradamus is played by Rousseff Sutherland. Yeah. Who made his acting debut, at least uh, on screen, 
in the 2003 film Timeline, which I recognized him from. Uh, really? Timeline, the, the Michael Crichton time travel movie, where they go back to roughly this point in history. And it's like someone saw him wearing a cloak thing in that and was like, oh, perfect. Oh, good, good, perfect. Interestingly, I looked him up as well because I was curious uh-huh. how old he was. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, I've never seen a depiction of Nostradamus where he was like young and sexy. Um, and yeah, he's supposed to, uh, Nostradamus at this period of history was actually like in his late 40s and this guy's in his yeah. mid 30s. Um, this guy is a son of Donald Sutherland and mm-hmm. half brother of Kiefer Sutherland. And yet this is the first time I've ever seen him in a, in an acting role. So yeah. Surprising. Yeah. Well, you, he's the, he's like real life Sebastian. Yeah. We'll get to that. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Oh, I just also wanted to comment on this scene really quickly. My, I, I watched this at my parents' house on their fancy new giant for mostly sports ball TV. Mm-hmm. And my mom and dad both walked in from being outside the house or whatever during this scene where they're like at the convent. And this was like filmed on location at an actual convent, but clearly one that has been a ruin for hundreds of years. Like there's no roof on this place. And my parents asked if I was watching a show about peop- about LARPers. <laughs> they were like, is this a show about people who dress up and go hang out in old castles? Also, in this scene, I jokingly said aloud, is everyone at this French convent English? But in the very next scene, I went, oh, I see. The CW thinks everyone in France and Scotland is English. Everyone before the year 1900 was English, <laughs> yeah. I believe. So, uh, yeah, uh, moving on. Next, we meet Francis, the Dauphin, or Dolphin, of France, and his half-brother, yep. Sebastian, or Bash. They seem to, like, have a pretty good relationship, and through their dialogue, we learn that Sebastian is the bastard son, son of the king, but that him and Francis are still pretty close. Francis is the legitimate heir. Francis is very popular with the ladies, and they talk about how Francis's sister, Elizabeth, is getting married soon so that they can have an alliance with Spain. And then Francis goes to talk to his parents, and they tell him that Mary, his betrothed, is coming soon. So apparently Nostradamus informed them of this information. We learn that King Henry doesn't think much of his wife, Catherine, uh, because he married her for money, and she didn't really bring a lot of a title or, like, she, she doesn't was, have any title yeah, at all. Yeah. She was titleless, but she had a lot of money. Yeah, there's a line where the king says, you know, Francis is like, oh, have you picked up my wedding date yet? You already picked up my bride. And the king says, yeah, yeah, I've picked up the day you get married. It's when I fucking say so. Yeah. Without the cuss. And then his <laughs> afterwards, Catherine, his wife, says, you get married when I say so. Yeah. I'm in control here, yeah. but it's cool because I'm on your side. Also, uh, it was at the moment that he, that King Henry says something disparaging about well, at least your bride has a title, like gives like a dig at his wife. And she looks at him like, really? With this again? Uh, and that is the moment that I recognized Megan Follows. And I shouted, oh shit, so loudly. My roommate came out to make sure I was okay. <laughs> because I saw her name in the credits and went, oh, that name sounds vaguely familiar. I wonder, wonder if I'll recognize who that is. And it was at that moment that I was like, oh my God. Because Megan Follows played Anne of Green Gables and Avonlea mm-hmm. and all the other places she's of in the Canadian TV uh, versions of the uh, of those stories. So I had seen the actress as an adult, but not, yeah, 15, 20 years ago. Right. So I'd never... Not into middle age. Yeah. So yeah. I was just like, oh my God. And I was so delighted that she was there. Yeah. I did not recognize her. 
But yeah. I immediately in this scene was like, I'm getting some strong Cersei vibes because this is one of this is one of the costume drama vaguely medieval-y shows that came out like two to three years after Game of Thrones was this big hit. Mm. And they're like, oh, we're going to have all this court intrigue. And there's going to be like this queen who's like secretly running the place. Yeah. And so in my mind for the rest of the episode, whenever she was on screen, I was like, budget Cersei. Oh, that's rude. Come on. But I, I feel Megan bad Fall now the, that I know it's Megan well, Fall. I just didn't she, recognize her. Also, she was better than anybody else in the whole damn show. She totally was. She deserves better than the show. She deserves, she deserves better than the lines that were written for oh, her in this good show. good lord. There are a few of the lines where you can, like, see her trying to come up with a way to say it naturally, and it still comes out wrong, because it's just a bad line. Anyway. Oh, also, I was annoyed, uh, I need to mention, because you referred to him as the, the Dauphin, which is was a historical title for the heir to the French throne, and literally means dolphin in French. So literally I, means dolphin. I always assumed it just sounded like dolphin, and I love that word. I love that there was a title and it was dauphin in France. It sounds like this very gentle word. I don't know. I really like that word. Nobody says dauphin in the entire episode. Not once. Come on, guys. I was annoyed. Neil Gaiman will cram it into a song <laughs> twice. You could get it into an episode. And also, uh, I, yeah, by looking it up, because I went, I wonder what was the origin of that title. It's not a very interesting origin, but the point is... The first person who was called the Dauphin had a, literal dolphins in his crest. And then they were like, let's just keep calling the air the dolphin all the time. Like dolphin boy. Because Francis like, yes, our little dolphin. Anyway, uh, the next scene, we see Queen Catherine, Megan follows, meeting with a young, sexy Nostradamus, who it becomes apparent is kind of her secret advisor of sorts. She believes in his visions and all that stuff. But he also makes like, potions and things because she says he she she shows her this potion he's making and it's for her daughter elizabeth who's getting married to ensure that she has sons and she kind of smells it and goes oh that's disgusting and he says this is the best joke in the entire show he says well where she puts it he won't smell it unless he's a very good husband <laughs> <laughs> that is the only good joke in the entire episode uh but it was a very good joke, to be, to be fair. Uh, she then asks if he's had any visions about her son's future. And he says, yes, but only vague ones. Uh, and Catherine basically wants to know how she can control a daughter-in-law who's literally a queen in her own right. Like, how do I exert control over this young woman who's coming? Um, and she kind of threatens him a little bit because he's he kind of digs back at her a little bit. And she goes like, Oh, I'm having a vision now. It's you, beheaded at my command. Like, <laughs> hey, remember where I'm a queen? But then she goes, of course I mean that affectionately because we share so many little secrets. So I don't think Nostradamus told them that Catherine was coming. I think probably the right. Scots sent an envoy right. or something to let him know. I think Nostradamus is Catherine's little secret. He did live at the French court yeah. at this time period. And she really, like, she invited him to come to the French court right. to, uh, to like, write, uh, like, astrological predictions. Basically, to come up with uh, her, for her children. Like, hey, could you, could you could tell you me my kids' horoscopes? Or star chart. We don't, have, we don't have newspapers yet. Can you, can you come up with some star charts for my kids? And I cannot tell what Joseph uh, Sutherland was going for here. Because he is the only one on the entire show who does not have an English accent. And I cannot tell what kind of accent he is supposed to have. Yeah, it's a, it's a slidey accent, just like... It's um, a mystery accent. It's a spooky guy accent. He's yeah. just 
he's just speaking sort of like this, and his, it sort of slides all over Europe. So I looked it up. I was like, well, maybe, I don't know where Nostradamus is from. Right. 90% of what I know about Nostradamus is, comes from the cover of, uh, you know, like, the Inquirer. Right. So I was like, well, let's see where he was actually from. He's French. He's, he was French. He's not from somewhere else mysterious. He's just French also. <laughs> Which, what's funny is, at first I was like, oh, maybe they're going kind of Italian. Right. Maybe they were, which would be funny because Catherine was literally Italian in real life. But Megan Falls is just being English like everyone yeah. else. So Next we cut to the castle preparing for Mary's arrival. And there's like, you know, people running around setting stuff up. Mary's ladies-in-waiting arrive a little bit before her. And there, mm-hmm. are, there are four of them. They're like her childhood friends from Scotland. Apparently where she was when she was nine or before she was nine. It's, I, I don't quite understand the timeline of all of it. Yeah, because they say that she lived at the French court. They all have all these flashbacks to her and Francis playing as children. But she went to the convent when she was nine. But she also was in Scotland at some point to make these friends. Right. Who she hasn't seen. But they remember her and she remembers yeah. them. And they're like happy to see her. So yeah. She's like, I think she's supposed to be 15 when the show starts. Okay, yeah, see, like, all Which of that... None of those actors the are ti- the, Yeah, the, the whole timeline of it and the But they, they remember her. It's like, yay, we haven't seen you in forever, right. buddy, right. pal. And then sort of all of the, the court is, like, lining up outside to, to uh, receive the ladies-in-waiting and to receive uh, Mary, and there's, like, people playing trumpets, and while all this is going on, there's, like, a... Uh, 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 we see like a shadowy sort of a Bertha Mason type figure like peeking out from a window. Bertha Mason is the name of the wife in Jane Eyre who's like oh. up in the attic and like always like hiding in the basement. Sitting here staring at Strange like, what are you talking about? Bertha Mason. For a second I thought you were saying that's the name of the actual, this actual no. character. Because no. I don't know if this is a historical character or not because we don't get very much about right. her in the show. And I didn't bother to look it up. It's like so much of the writing of this feels like Someone with like a high school level understanding. They read like the Wikipedia article in high school and then yeah. had also read Jane Eyre. Yeah. Because there's she, so much of that. She's not just a shadowy figure. It, right. it looks kind of like she might be wearing some sort of mask or something. Or she's like we disfigured. Don't see very or much. Yeah. Yeah. We don't she's see her. She's always much of her. seen a shadow. But this is where we first see that character. Yeah. Uh, so the ladies in waiting arrive and they're like gossiping about the court. <laughs> And it, Expo gossip. Expo gossip. Very good. Gossiposition? No. Gossiposition. Nope. We get confirmations of things like Bash being the bastard son of the king and his mistress, whose name is Diane. Diane And the king seems to kind of favor the mistress. Like, when they come walking out, like, the king has, like, the mistress on his arm. Yeah. Instead One of them of the says, queen. oh, is that Catherine? And they're like, no, that's his mistress. And I was like, is that a thing? I know that it was very common for king's especially French ones, to have mistresses and for the mistress to be accepted as just part of court life and be friends with the queen yeah. even. But for him to walk out with the mistress and then the queen comes later is like, yeah. wow, that's bolder than I expected. Uh, the other sort of little bit of uh, expo gossip that we get mm. uh, is that Francis and Mary's marriage isn't entirely a sure thing because it's sort of, it's been arranged to seal an alliance, but as alliances are always shifting, yeah. it might not necessarily get locked in. And then because we need the pilot talk, it is also mentioned that Lola, one of the four ladies in waiting, mm-hmm. ha- left like a sweetie behind in Scotland and she misses him very much and he is pledged to wait for her something. Yeah. Like, and that's when they mention like, wait how long? We yeah. might never go back to Scotland if this works out. And they go, wait, what do you mean if? And she's the, the one who's like, 
uh, you know, th- th- this marriage might not actually happen, right? Like, yeah. Anyway. And then Mary arrives, says hello to the ladies in waiting, and then Mary sort of stands there, and it's like this like long corridor of all the court waiting to receive her. And then it was kind of a sweet thing, like Francis walks around all of everybody, like across yeah. the lawn, and just like walks up to her all casual, like like a person. Yeah. And says hello, and there's... I'm sure this is not how it would have gone down No, <laughs> but like if we're supposed to like kind of want them to get together, it's yeah. kind of like a cute, well-staged moment that like he goes around all yeah. the pomp and ceremony and is just like, what's up? Uh, and as they're sort of meeting, Catherine like turns to Nostradamus and is like, do you, do you see, do, are, are, your, are your visions clarifying? Yeah. And he says, yes, Mary will cost Francis his life. Bum, bum, bum. and i gotta say about this particular scene the moment the ladies in waiting spilled out of their carriage i said costumes by anthropology because nothing about this is this is the first moment when you realize wow this is inaccurate up till that point everything looked like from from a layman's perspective Okay, this looks more or less historically accurate. I'm sure they kind of succeeded up and sort of right. moderned it around the edges, but it all more or less works. And then these girls spill out in these, like, they're all wearing completely different outfits, which just at the time period, you just didn't have that much variety in fashion. Yeah. They would all be wearing more or less the same kind of dress because there was a sort of dress that a lady-in-waiting would wear for, like, a journey. And just, they're all wearing these ridiculous, super modern-looking outfits and... Anyway, like I did strapless I, I, dresses and underwire bras going on and like all kinds of that stuff. That comes like, later, but yeah, it's uh it's ridiculous. And I did look up uh, some information and apparently the costume designer really prided herself on the fact that she tried to give each of the ladies in waiting their own personality in their clothes and I'm like that in and of itself is super inaccurate. Like I'm, you just wouldn't have had that much personality way to convey your personality through clothing. That was so much a thing then. I mean, mission accomplished. I could tell that there was four of them. Yeah. I, I understand why they wanted to do that. Yeah, because they're ridiculous. And they all have weird names also. Yeah. So I dubbed them, aside from Lola, who is the only one who gets like an actual little bit of a, a, a B-plot in the episode uh, with her talking about her bow back in Scotland. I remembered her name. The rest of them I dubbed uh, Posh Spice, Baby Spice, Commoner Spice, and Lola was Scottish Spice, but then very quickly... It became obvious her name was Lola because I kept saying it over and over again. And also, another uh, fun historical fact. I looked up... uh, Oh, no, I just happened across this fact. I was looking up something else for historical fact. And the reason that they gave them those weird-ass names... Their names are like Alia and Greer, and I Uh can't remember the other one, and Lola. Which I was like, those don't seem like accurate names. Uh, Guess why they gave them those weird names, strangely? Why? Because in real life... They were literally all named Mary. <laughs> Mary and her four ladies in waiting. Mary this, Mary that, Mary whatever, and Mary Hi, I'm from Scotland. Like, they're, they're <laughs> Mary Hi, I'm from Scotland. They're all named Mary something or other. Like, look, my name's Sarah, okay? And I, I'm Jewish, so like, I went to a Jewish summer camp where we had four Sarahs in my cabin one year. Like, that was confusing enough. She's at the French court, and literally her only friends all have the same name as her. That would be so confusing. But that explains why they gave them weird CW names. This is some, this is some like, like millennials having babies type of names. Like, Greer, come on, it's time to go to your yoga class. Like, no. Anyway, moving on. 
They go in the castle. The ladies have this montage where they're grinding stuff up and like using a stick to apply eyeliner and like mixing up red stuff and putting it on their face and whatever. They obviously wanted to be like, look, we did we did some uh, research. But then they start putting on new dresses and going on about how, ooh, these are from Paris. And they look like a bunch of shitty prom dresses from Kohl's. Like, I don't know what's going on. They have like tacky beading and they're strapless and not one of them looks like you could wear a corset under it even though they also show them show them putting corsets on anyway the girls decide they want to go explore the castle and mary goes you go on without me and she goes off to explore on her own because she wants to find the rooms where she used to live when she was here as a child she then runs into francis who she's been remembering all their little, like, giggling as children as she's walking around. She runs into Francis, who is in this disused area of the castle where she used to live, where he now practices making knives and swords. And they kind of have a nice scene where he confides in her that he wants to learn a skill that isn't... He doesn't inherit this thing, and it can't be taken away from him. He just wants to have something that's really his. Yeah. Which is kind of nice character building little moment. So he's making, he's trying to learn how to actually create uh, knives and swords. So And the two young leads like really sell the scene too. Like it just yeah. feels like a genuine like two young people kind of getting to know each other thing. Yeah. So it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a sweet moment. But then he returns to his rooms and his mistress is waiting there. And she, you know, assures him, you know. He's like, does anybody see you coming? And she goes, no, they never do, and they never will. Because our arrangement doesn't have to change. And yeah. then she does, like, this super awkward... It's like they wrote in the script. I think her name's Natalia. It's like someone wrote in the script, Natalia begins to undress as she says this. But then the costume designer didn't know about that line, so they put her in a dress that, like, she couldn't sexily remove. So she goes, no, and the arrangement doesn't have to change. And she kind of awkwardly shoves her shoulder yeah. out of the dress... Like, she's trying to go, I gotta show some skin. I don't know. Ugh, here's my shoulder. <laughs> it's like the, the Flight of the Concord song where he's like, I removed my pants, but I'm still wearing my shoes, so I kick it all off in a kind of se sexy dance. Like, it's... Yeah, it's she, she's it is like, a very unsexy... Yeah, it's a very awkward... Clearly, the idea to have her show a little skin was not conveyed to the costume designer. Also, it was at this point when we saw the girls in their little montage of prom dresses, where I just lost all faith in the show being entertainingly inaccurate. Because I, I just can forgive a lot of inaccuracy if the costumes are beautiful to look at. And these were not. They just looked... Or, I was embarrassed. Or if there's, them. like, consistency of anachronistic. Yeah. Across the board. Like... Yeah, Like, yeah. the location shooting that they were doing, like, I mentioned the r missing roof from the Abbey and everything, yeah. like, and that they're shooting in these palaces and everything in France. Like, at a certain point, I was like, okay, well, this is just the way you do, you're doing this. Yeah. I can kind of get on board. It's almost like we're doing a play in the actual yeah. palace or something. You, there's always a bit of suspension yeah. of disbelief when, you know, they show up in Pride and Prejudice, when they show up at Pemberley. Okay, that house looks a little worse for the wear than yeah. it would have been at the time. But we know it's because they shot at a real, right. real beautiful estate yeah. in, in England. So it's like, you, there's a suspension of disbelief there. This was not that. There's mm -hmm. no suspension of disbelief yeah. for, because there's no reason for them to have such ugly clothes. It's It really looked like all their dresses were bought off the rack at like a department store. It did. Mm -hmm. 
That's I didn't want to be the one to say it, yeah. but you just said, thank you. Yeah. I'm glad we agree on this. Some of the other costumes look fine. I thought Bash and um, and Francis are both wearing these like black leather sort of coats. Yeah. Which the style of the coat is somewhat similar to ones I've seen from that roughly that time period, but they probably wouldn't have been all black leather, right? right. But it's like, okay, that makes them look like kind bad like a boys. musketeer kind yeah, of thing. It yeah, looked, it was like, sure, that's within the realm of suspicion yeah. of disbelief. Catherine's outfit, no idea if it was historically accurate, but it looked like a old-timey queen outfit, so I was like, fine. All these young girls are wearing these ugly-ass, off-the-rack dresses that I just could <laughs> not get behind. Anyway. We cut to Mary outside, and she's sitting by a stream or a pond or something, and she's, like, collecting... Shiny rocks. Because she's whimsical. Yeah, I was just like... She grew up in a convent, so she does whimsical things. There were, like, some white ones and some black ones, and I was like, oh, maybe this is, like, the Umen and Thrumen thing, like, in The Alchemist, that she's going to do, like, some divination, and what am I talking about? This show is not nearly playing on that level. Ah, Uh, And then her dog, who apparently she cares about a lot, but we have not seen yet at all before this... this point. uh, Sterling. Sterling. I remembered his name more than the ladies-in-waiting. Sterling starts barking at something in the woods, and one of the shots was kind of like a weird shaky cam POV shot, so I assumed it was Bertha out there watching her from the woods. She So she drops the stones mm-hmm. uh, and uh, goes back in, into the castle and, like, has more w- with her. It's weird. They make a big deal of the fact she dropped the stones, but then she goes to the castle and she's like, Here, Francis. I brought you some pretty rocks to put on your swords. Like, like he's gonna like macrame that shit on there. Like, oh. what is he like making macaroni? He's got a pictures? hot glue gun. Yeah, right exactly. There. Exactly. Like, I was like, brought you some stones to decorate your swords. It's like, okay, we get it. She grew up in a convent. As, she's not like the other queens. As she hands him, but like earlier when he was talking about making the swords, she's like, I know how to cut peat for the fire, and I can like milk a goat. Milk a goat. So it's like the nuns she taught me. clearly has some like logical intelligent like I don't yeah so like out loud I was like she was like I brought you stones for your swords and out loud while I was watching the scene I was like why <laughs> like why why did you do uh she's acting like she's still a child yeah basically. yeah unfortunately uh, and then he's all like oh uh, what are you doing here you should have told my page that you're coming and she surmises from his tone that he is not alone in his chambers and they, she's, she sort of kind of presses the issue a little bit. And then he very rudely sends her away. And he's, like, trying to sound manly. Like, he basically echoes some of the tone and words that his father used with him earlier. It's yeah. like, a king doesn't have to answer to his queen. Yeah. So, uh, she goes back to the stream to throw the walks, rocks away. <laughs> That's right. She's like, I'm mad, I'm gonna throw these rocks away. But I have to go all the way back to the stream to do it because now her dog, barking again, runs off into the woods. And she goes after him. She says his name like 20 times, which is what I remember. Sterling, 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 Sterling. At no point did she go, come, come here, here boy, come, stop. She just keeps saying, Sterling, 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 in different tones. That's meanwhile, not how dogs work. <laughs> meanwhile, uh, Bash sees her and comes up and stops her and says, it's not safe, you, have, you can't go into the woods. And she goes, I have to get my dog. And he says, look, I'll go get your dog for you. Look, you really shouldn't be out here by yourself anyway. You certainly shouldn't go into the woods, which is all very logical. 
And he kind of flirts with her a little bit, and she admits she's mad at Francis. You should tell your brother not to be a dick or whatever. And he, you know, kind of sends her back off into the castle. Then he looks into the woods very mysteriously, like, oh, did he have some other reason for telling her not to go into the woods? Even though, pretty, pretty logical. Like, don't go into the woods by yourself. You're a queen. Yeah. Clearly, even even at the convent, I'm sure the nuns didn't let you just like frolic around in the in the woods whenever you wanted. At this point in the episode, it becomes weird how often they reiterate that Bash is a bastard. He can't appear on screen or speak or be spoken about without someone reminding the audience what his story is. It's like they didn't think we would get it. The very first scene when he and Francis meet, he Francis is like, "How's father's mood?" and he goes, "Well, you know, he's like this." But your mother is in there with him. Yeah. And so they have this little moment. And then as Francis has to go meet with them and Bash walks off, Francis goes, lucky bastard. So we've already established in yeah. that scene what their relationship is. Then the ladies-in-waiting reiterate, yeah, he's the son of the king's mistress. At that point, we know everything that we need to know about that relationship. They're half-brothers. They share a king's father in common. Then in this scene, when she goes, well, you should tell your brother not to be such a moody asshole, he goes, we're half-brothers. And it's like, yeah, she knows. We know. Who are you saying this for? Yeah. He goes, we have nothing in common but a father. Yeah, we also knew that. Like, why does the show feel it necessary to keep reiterating this information? I, I don't I, know. I think it's because, and we'll get into this more in Cliffs and Ships, but I, I think he, there's going to be some sort of, like, love triangle thing going on. And so it's really like, this is who you should be with, but this is who you're going to want to be with. My, yeah, my only theory was it was because Sebastian was a made-up character for the show. He is not a historical figure. I think Diane de Poitiers was actually King Henry, Henry's mistress, I'm pretty sure, but they didn't have a child, or at least they didn't have one named Sebastian who was a yeah. roguishly handsome guy with uh, kind of a mullet. Um, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> he has the worst hair, you guys. Oh. Everyone else has sexy modern hair, which is a thing about period shows. They always give people modern hair. Yeah. Because um, nobody ever wants to cut their hair into period styles. Anyway, so uh. <laughs> we go back to the castle. Where lady-in-waiting Lola is surprised by her beau, Colin. Oh Colin God. has come from Scotland. All the way from Scotland. The Holy day God. after she left, he got on a boat. He came after her. He's like, I'm here. I've, I've come to be with you, and you me and yeah. you. And then she's like, well, of course you have to say it, but we have to ask the queen's permission. So they take Colin to Catherine, and Catherine is, like, quizzing him about his family. And it, it basically comes out in her talking to him that his entire line is, like, up-jumped commoners. Yeah. Who were promoted based on merit. Like, his father was, like, a good soldier or something like that. He was a servant of Mary's father. Yes. And he was such a good servant, yeah. and Mary's father, the King of Scotland, liked him so much, he left him a bunch of land. A title. Yeah. So I don't know if he actually has a title. He had land, so I guess at yeah. the time it was kind of the same thing. Yeah. But it's important to notice in this scene, Catherine is absolutely pretending she's super on board. This is super romantic, and she's like, how adorable, yeah. I love this. And so she's, then Catherine's like, well, very well, like, ladies, you all go and, you know. Get ready for the wedding. Yeah, I want to hear more things. about Colin's interesting yeah. story. Yeah. And Lola's like, oh. Great. She's obviously like, oh, wonderful. Everything worked out. Colin is like, uh. And then the queen sends away like literally everybody else in the room. Like All of everybody. her ladies in waiting. She just looks at them and they get up and leave too. Yeah. And you're like, Colin knows shit's about to go down. Uh, yeah, we get He's this close up of Colin who is just like, 
I mean, props. I'm to, a commoner. I know that yeah. I'm in over my head. He is yeah. so in and over his head. Lola's just like, oh, great. Everything worked out for me because I'm rich and so everything always works out for me. But then we cut away before anything else happens. Yeah. Then they're preparing for the wedding that night for Elizabeth's wedding. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mary finds the river stones that she'd thrown away earlier on her dressing table. I think they even show us a flashback of the shot of the stones, which, again, this was so weird that they made a big deal about her dropping the stones, but then she did take some of them with her into the castle. Then she brought them back, threw them away, but apparently it was specifically the stones she had dropped earlier when someone was watching her from the woods. Those are the ones that are on her dressing table now. Okay, show, fine. But the reason that they're there is to make her go like, who's here? And then she hears a noise. And then there's this very weird moment where she can see there is someone behind like a screen, like a changing screen type of thing, right? She can see there's someone behind it. In fact, the person puts their hand up and she puts her hand on their hand. And it's like a weird, I don't know, it's a weird moment. For some reason, she just talks to this person through the screen instead of going, excuse me, pull the screen. It's like, who the hell are you? Yeah. She... Mary goes out of her way. She bends over backwards this whole episode to avoid seeing the mystery person's face. Yeah. So, but this person whispers in a cryptic way, partake of love and joy, but do not drink the wine tonight, or something like that. Yeah. And she's like, what, why? And then there's a noise, and then she then pulls the screen aside once it's safe to, and sees there's nobody there, but then discovers there's a panel in the wall that comes out, and there is a passageway. So I'm sure there'll be some fun bullshit with the passageways later on in the show. It's this is one of those like incredibly odd directing moments, and I'll, I'll get I'll get into this more in a little bit. But like the amount of time that she's just sort of holding her hand and like touching the wall, and then the way the secret passage opens is she just pushes yeah. on the wall. It's not like there's a there's a hidden latch or anything. She spends so much time, like, it you opens. can just hear, like, the director off camera going, okay, now, now run your hand down a little bit, now, now back up, now down a little bit, and now push it open. Now push like, it open, yeah. what are you, what? what was she feeling for? It's not like she was feeling yeah. for a latch or a, a, yeah, it was overdramatic nonsense. That night, at Elizabeth's wedding, uh, everybody's there, everybody's dressed to the nines in their, you know, their anthropology, uh... Dresses. I, honestly, I was so upset about the costumes in general. I almost didn't notice that the bride is wearing a white dress, which I feel like, do you not know this? Because I feel like everybody knows this by this point, but maybe not. White for brides was is not a historical thing. It did not become popular until Queen Victoria did it. It just was common for brides to wear whatever the color they wanted. Well, yeah. You just wore a very, you just generally wore a really nice dress. Right. If you were poor, you wore your best Sunday dress or whatever. If you were rich, you had a, a dress custom made, but it was still just a dress that reflected the styles of the times. It wasn't like a beautiful yeah. princess ball gown or whatever. And white, yeah, white is not like, oh, it's traditional because it represents purity. That is nonsense. People Wake up, made sheeple. Up. It's a myth created by big textile. Yeah. Anyway, it, it, didn't, it didn't become popular until Queen Victoria, which is... Obviously, several hundred years after the show took place. Anyway. So Lola notices Colin at the at the dance, at the ball, whatever. And it's the like, wedding. oh, my, it's, it's Colin. And, but then he doesn't come over to her. He goes over to Mary and, like, gives Mary a cup of wine and is like, uh, Let's toast. toast. And he, like, bows and kisses yeah. her hand and is very awkward. Yeah, to the happy couple. Which, like, when someone you haven't seen for a while immediately wants to give you wine... Little weird, which yeah. Mary Mary is like 
this is weird, remembers, well, remembers the warning. Don't drink the wine. And doesn't drink the wine. But Colin clocks Lola watching him, gets flustered and distracted, doesn't notice that Mary doesn't drink the wine, mm-hmm. and like ox out of the situation and just like yeah. moves away. But it's like one of the other <sighs> commoner spice comes up to Lola and is like, oh, why is Colin talking to Mary? And Lola says, well, she's his queen. He's paying his respects, but she clearly yeah. isn't quite convinced. She yeah. thinks something is weird about this. Mary then, because she is whimsical, yeah, she's a rock-collecting whimsy nun, yeah. is like, let's dance. I need to dance. And she 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 says this to one of her ladies in waiting. She, uh, goes, she, she goes, you can't dance alone. Yeah, she goes, I won't be alone. And all five of them. She says, take off your shoes. Yeah. And they all take off their shoes and spin around like giggling children in the center of the floor. Around a maypole. Like they're they're all like they're like holding hands with each other and like going in circles and like yeah, trying to do like the whole children. thing where you like duck, th- you know, a bunch of people in a line and then they like duck, duck. through yeah. other people. It is something a bunch of young women in their late teens or early 20s might do at a wedding today. Yeah. But not in 1557. And <laughs> and like and the the music peaks and but everyone around them isn't looking at them like, these women are literally insane. They're like, oh, how cute and whimsical. Yeah. And, There's and, a funny line where Queen Catherine goes, yeah. we're overrun by Scots. Which, I guess I could see like a kind of a thing happening where it's like, oh, and now our traditional Scottish style dancing. But like, no, it, no. it wasn't that. Like, you're just a bunch of like Starbucks robot Coachella kids. Yeah. Like, like, even the outfits they're wearing and, like, the way their hair's done, I'm like, this It's very thing. boho. Yeah, it's so boho. <laughs> ah, it's so boho, it hurts. And then, like, some of the other court people get get into Start the moment. Dancing. And everybody starts dancing. And it's kind of, like, a cute moment. But, like, it's... The needle drops in this are so... And this is, like... This, yes. this is where I'm going to talk about this. Because this was the moment where I was like, what is this? Why is this making me, like, so uncomfortable? Why is this, like, the opposite of... Why is this just so freaking weird? Yeah. So I, I I had recognized the director's name of this pilot. And so I went and looked up the director. Because, like, as the scene is peaking and it's getting weirder... And there's, like, the, the freaking Lumineers are playing or something yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah, and that's, like, all the, the needle drops are, like, Lumineers or, like, Mumford & Sons type, like, yeah. you know, like, it's like a Bank of America commercial where they, like, put the freaking Christmas lights over the wooden picnic table and they're all drinking their f- overpriced Tito's vodka drinks out of freaking mason jars with handles welded on. Feathers! Literal, white, white literal feathers. white feathers start c- coming down, like, it's Frickin' Jason Webley show. Yeah, like and like confetti from the sky. And Mary is reminded, she has a vision of yeah. her and Francis's children jumping on a bed and breaking pillows and feathers going everywhere. So I thought, oh, she's imagining the feathers. But, but then, like, other people are seeing them? Yeah. Other- the feathers are still all over everyone after the magic moment has passed. So, like, they were real feathers. Why, why were feathers being dropped on the people... From yeah. the sky. And Why? this was the moment where I just, like, I paused the episode. I had to look up who the director was. The director is Brad Siverling, who, uh, fun fact, directed three episodes of Doogie Hauser back in the day. Not Of any of the shows we've watched, I would not expect that to be the one, but sure. Brad Siverling directed uh, City of Angels, which is a... Jesus! <laughs> oh, my God! 
Oh, doesn't this explain so much? Yeah. But that was just, the stylistically, the pilot is so, oh, this no. this pilot is so weird. And of the first fifteen minutes of the runtime, like the first eight scenes, I would say like eight minutes is shot like montage style. Every like the thing I kept coming back to in my head watching this was that the show constantly looks like looks and is shot and lit and and everything like the first thirty seconds of a music video. You know, like. In a music video that has a story about yeah. like the woman who gets on the bus because her dog left her or whatever, and she's like going on a journey. Yeah, it's that like and, you know before yeah, the musicians yeah. show up to be singing, there's like you know a little bit of a story, a very general story that we told with that dialogue. Yeah, um, like it's like that, and I was I just like couldn't figure. So then I looked at this director and I was like, oh, it's Brad Siverling, who also directed City of Angels, which if you have not seen. That film, it stars. Bless you. Yes, yeah, good for you. But if, you don't even know how lucky you are. It stars uh, Nicholas Cage Nicholas and Cage. Meg Ryan in roles that were originally written oh. for, uh, I believe Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, or like Keanu Reeves and some. Mm. Like they were, mm-hmm. it, they were written for another on-screen couple that has really great chemistry. This, I as soon as you said. Roles originally written for, I was immediately listening because I've always thought that movie, the weirdest thing about that movie is both of them seem super miscast. Yeah. Like it does not make any freaking sense. They have no chemistry together. Yeah. Neither of them are particularly make sense in the character. I right. only saw it once when it came out, which years ago. I was a child. I wasn't the right age for the movie anyway. But I have never forgotten how much I thought that movie was freaking bananas. It's it's bizarre. It's It's like... Every once in a while, I would say like Isn't once. Is there a scene where they're having sex and she makes him describe it? Ugh, never mind. Yes. Let's not talk about it. There's, but but it's like every every couple of years there is a film that comes out where just like on every level you're watching it going. Somebody wrote this. Somebody thought this was a good idea. Somebody cast this. Somebody, everything, all the way to the point of like, how did this get made? This is so bizarre. I can't believe I'm seeing this. Something went wrong here. And this pilot has that energy. Which, I, I gotta say, Brad Sibling, I don't know what your gumbo is, but it is weird. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway. Moving uh, on. After the dancing sort of subsides, people start moving with purpose out of the room, and Posh Spice says, oh, it's time for the consummation. Which, I, I didn't look this up, but I think I've heard something to this effect, so I'm sure there was some sort of historical thing, they didn't make this up completely, that... After the wedding and a little bit of their celebration or whatever, the uh, bride and groom would go into a room with a bunch of other people who would then witness them consummate the marriage and have sex for the first time to so that it could be verified that the marriage had been consummated. Because back then it was very significant. A wedding wasn't really a wedding. Instead of paperwork, they had sex, you know? Right. So this was how we said, no, they're really married now. Because, you know, if you had sex with someone else, you were ruined. You, nobody else right. would marry you. So it's like... This is how we assure that they are bonded now. So the Posh Spice is like, come on, don't you want to see it? And they all go run off and somehow are able to find a very easy spot to watch from. And they like pull a curtain aside. Nobody notices or hears the curtains pulled they're- aside and that they're just standing there on, side, on the other side of this kind of screen thing. We watch them, you know, awkwardly kind of partially undress and they're still wearing like 
fancy frilly white yeah. things or whatever. And there's just this awkward moment where a bunch of old white men are standing there and Elizabeth is clearly like, I'm so not cool with this. But her husband is like, hey, don't worry about it. It's totally cool. And I'm like, this guy's into it. It's down with it. He's, uh, I, he's really excited about this. I thought the moment was kind of sweet because the line, he just, he, he, he she, holds her. She looks to the side at the people watching yeah. and he turns her face back to him and says, we're the only ones that matter here. Which is kind of a nice thing. Like, look, I know this is awkward, but just try to focus on me and we'll just get yeah. through this together. It did seem a little bit like he's a little too comfortable with this, but whatever. So then they start uh, uh, doing the sex behind, behind a, <laughs> behind a curtain or something um, so they at least start in It's like in a four-poster bed with, like, a yeah. see-through curtain around. Yeah, like yeah, a, Not see-through, but yeah, not... A sheer... She said it was somewhat sheer. Yeah, yeah we'll say somewhat that. Somewhat sheer. So you can certainly see something's going on, and you can hear them. And anyway, the girls are all watching, and Baby Spice, who is called because she's... There's one that's younger, that just seems a little younger and less worldly than the other girls. And she's blonde and blue-eyed, and of course she's Baby Spice. Immediately gets uncomfortable uh, and says... Uh, we should go. And they all kind of go off with her. And they're sort of running and giggling away. Music video style, Music odd video montage style. through, Pouring through, out through of the, the castle. Room, kind of giggling. Posh Spice sort of breaks off and runs up like too many stairways. Uh, runs past a bunch of men who all lustfully look after her to kind of establish, hey, she's the hot one. Um, which is why I called her Posh Spice. Because she kind of looks like uh, she does Victoria look little... Beckham. Mm-hmm. Right? She's, she's Beckham now. I don't know what her name was when she was posh by. She was posh by some. We didn't care what her last name was. So then she runs off and finds like some area of the castle. It's, it's dark. There's nobody else there. Leans up against the wall and starts uh, taking care of herself, as it were. Because clearly she was like really turned on by this, uh, watching these strangers have sex. And as she's kind of pulling at her skirts and sort of biting her lip and arching her back, all of a sudden, we see a man's arm reach around her and grab her waist and start kissing her neck. And she's, like, surprisingly okay with this happening, even though she can't see who it is. She she puts her hand up and grabs his head, sort of like she's, like, into this, mm-hmm. caught up in the moment. Then she turns around and realizes it's King Henry. <laughs> then she has a moment where she goes, oh, pulls back a little and straightens up a little and goes, your grace. As if she somehow misinterpreted his actions. And he goes, may I? (laughs) And she's like, her eyes widen. She's like, ooh, okay. Apparently she's down with this happening. And they start making out and he's grabbing at her skirts. And it's, you know, they're going to do some some stuff. Some scootily pooping. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, more than that. Anyway, and I'm going, she's 15. I mean, clearly the actress is like 25 at least. I actually did look up the actress who played, uh, who plays Mary, uh, Adeline Kane or something, mm-hmm. or something like that. She was twenty three when the show was started, and she's supposed to be fifteen. So Which, anyway, the way all of them behave and act and everything like that, like they seem more like college girl. Like, yeah, it's very much like a. Kind they, of a oh, they absolutely act like like whimsical teenagers or like college kids or whatever. Even though at the time period. They would have been considered effectively adults at that point, right? And they're in this unfamiliar court, and it's like they make a big deal. The the, the ladies in waiting do talk about the fact that like 
look, we need to make this work for us too. Because being in the court, we can attract like a rich husband or something like that. We don't want to be ladies and waiting forever. But then they act like children all the time, despite the fact that they are like, oh yeah. Like when they're putting on the dresses, Lola says, oh, I finally look of age now. Okay, if you actually want to look of age, maybe don't take off your shoes and dance in the middle of the room. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, during, when they're all sort of running off in all directions after witnessing the consummation, Lola goes looking for Colin. Mm. She, like, grabs a couple of, you know, she turns around a couple guys who look like him from behind, I guess, yeah. and can't find Colin. Yeah, so Colin That's, is AWOL. Colin is AWOL. Important. Then after that, Francis and Mary run into each other, and they actually both kind of try to apologize to each other. They have that moment of, I shouldn't have, no, you, I, oh, you know, they have that yeah. thing where they try to apologize for their weird interaction earlier in the day when he's like, can you just don't answer to their wives? However, even though it starts off like a cute apology, he says something wrong and she immediately gets angry again. And they are shouting at each other, despite the fact that they're clearly still in the castle where there's a wedding kind of still going on. It's more, people are probably starting to leave. They're shouting at each other though. Like you can hear their voices echoing. echoing off of the actual room that they are in, in this castle. Anyway, um, she accuses him of not wanting to marry her. She's like, oh, how, how horrible must you find me to treat me this way? And he's like, no, it's not that. You're beautiful and you're smart and you're unpredictable. It's that, and he basically admits, I'm not convinced that an alliance with Scotland is actually the best thing for France. So my father clearly thinks that we're going to need Scotland someday. I think we'll find more beneficial help elsewhere. So I'm just not getting attached. I'm not going to just like fall head over heels in love with you because we're engaged. Because I recognize the reality of the situation, which is that us getting engaged has nothing to do with whether we get along or not. It's entirely to do with whether when the time comes, Scotland still seems like a good bet. She's acting as if... She thinks they're totally just like, we're meeting so we can fall in love and get married. And he's like, okay, but like, you know, love doesn't matter for people like us. He has a good line where he says, love doesn't matter to people like us who are so privileged in every other way. Which is, I thought was kind of a good line. Which bears through with his characterization of wanting a skill that is his. He seems like he's trying to engage and pay attention, which honestly made me like the character yeah quite a like i he's More the most likable person in the show yeah. almost which is pretty uh amazing because they cast like a real like pensy pretty boy looking guy with yeah. floppy blonde hair who's trying so hard to grow a beard and like cannot make it yeah. happen but they let him strut around in that beard anyway yeah. even though it was real patchy and and silky but she's mad that he won't let himself fall in love with her and then she says something about, you're not the only one who has a country to think of. And I'm like, I, he's the one who's thinking about his country and you're the one thinking about your feelings. So that's kind of an empty line, but she struts off angrily. <sighs> then shit gets real. So really quick before we get into the scene, there were two things that happened in this episode, this scene and a later scene that just like felt like bizarre tonal shifts because the tone of this is very light and popcorn fluff and like, Will he like me? Won't he like me? Is like the central conflict. And yeah. then all of a sudden, we cut to Mary sleeping. In her bed. Like, you know, after the, the wedding or whatever. And someone comes into the room and like climbs up on top of her and like starts unbuckling their trousers. She wakes up, is understandably like, what the hell? It's Colin. Yeah. And 
as soon as she wakes up and reacts, he's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. You're great, you're great, please, She's like, whatever, yells for the guards. guards. The guards barge in and drag him away. Cut to the next morning, Mary's talking about it with her ladies in waiting. Lola's like, I went, I bribed the guards, I talked to Colin, like, he was forced to do this. There's some sort of conspiracy going on. Yeah, he was forced by someone in the castle, but he was too afraid to say who. Which, you know... Okay, so Mary then puts two and two together and realizes that the wine that she'd been warned not to drink must have been involved. Like, maybe she was supposed to have been drugged because they put together that Colin was surprised that she was awake. But why would you be surprised that someone would wake up when you're trying to rape them? I, yeah. Most most people's reaction would be to try to shut her up and finish the job. Instead, he backs away immediately. So she goes, he expected me to sleep through it because he thought the wine was drugged. Yeah. So... Mary then goes to the king and queen um, and begs them to let her talk to Colin. Saying, you know, he's my subject. I'm his queen. I have a right to question him or whatever. Yeah, and and they, like, they really bury the lead Mm because they're, like, asking her, like, why do you think you have this right and why do you want to do this and all this? And they're like, well, anyway, he's already been executed. Yeah, he was banded this morning. But it's like bury the lead much? Well, they they spend a lot of time talking to her about why do you want to talk to him? Yeah. It's kind of suspicious that you would want to talk to this man who attached, attacked yeah. you. And they, they reveal, don't you understand what he was doing? If he, this wasn't about, because she says, well, maybe I gave him the wrong message during the party while I was having a good time. And right. they're like, no, this wasn't an act of passion. He was trying to deflower you so you wouldn't be fit to wed our son. He was, this was a plot. By An the English, English plot. <laughs> An English plot. Isn't that a line from something? Probably. Oh, so please add us with what an English plot is from because it just popped into my head. And um, this was the, uh, the other like shot, I guess the sort of the like, the surprise in the nighttime, you know, him, the rape, the rape, yeah. attempted rape scene. And then when they're like, he was executed this morning, it's like him struggling in a jail cell, gets thrown down on the block, the the, the headsman comes and chops his head off, and the there's headsman. like blood spraying everywhere. It was like all of a sudden we have this very gory. It was scene incredibly graphic. Where they're just yeah, they're they're showing as they're saying, this was an English plot, this wasn't an act of passion. We're getting flashes of him being dragged down a hall by guards. And then they go, well, anyway, it's a moot point because beheaded this morning. And then immediately we see the head getting cut off. And you're like, well, you don't even have time. Usually with something like that, you would have a moment where they're dragging him. And the audience is going, no, no, is he going to get saved? And nope, he's just beheaded. Done. Dead, dead. Blood spray. End of story. So Lola is understandably pissed. Yeah, when Mary goes back to tell the ladies what happened, Lola's angry. She lashes out at Mary and she's like, you're not our friend, you're our queen and we are here to serve you. And we're in danger for being around you because obviously anyone who gets near to you um, gets killed or whatever. So Mary leaves and she's crying and she goes off by herself and then Bash appears with her dog that he has found and gives her the dog and then she confides to Bash that like her life's been hard and, you know, she she doesn't know what she's supposed to do and she kind of, like, they kind of open up to each other and, again, like, I gotta say, like, if they're going for a love triangle angle, there's good chemistry with him triangle as well. Angle. Yeah. He's, he's triangle. a Triangle. <laughs> he's a bit of a weird uh, character and I, I feel like the actor was a bit weird but he has a moment where he's clearly about to say something 
yeah. kind of personal. He says, like, you're not alone. She goes, I know, I have my friends. He goes, no, that's, I meant, and then he sees his mother watching and he goes, Diane. Yeah, he goes, uh, I wish you to be happy, your grace. And she goes, thank you. He just instantly gets yeah. courtly again, yeah. And then Mary leaves, Diane comes over to Bash, and they have a, like, cryptic conversation that's, like, clearly supposed to be setting up, like, an o- some overarching plot yeah. stuff. Where she references the blood in the woods. Yeah, he sa- the she's tree like, where did blood? you find the dog? And he says, oh, he ran off into the woods. He was drawn to the blood. Yes, that's right. And she goes, how close did you get? And he just looks at her it, and, and doesn't it's answer. And it's kind like, of seems to be talking about? implied that it might have something to do with the tree that Nostradamus was dreaming yeah, about. Like there was like a dream, flash or something. He sees a tree. Yeah. With, with white flowers, and he gets blood on his face and hands. And he interprets that apparently as meaning that Mary will kill Francis, but maybe it means something else. Yeah, I guess this could be a reveal that there's something else going on in the woods with blood. But yeah, it's right. she warns him, like, do not get too attached to Mary because you will never have her. Even if Francis, for some reason, didn't want her, she's a queen and you're a bastard, so like, good luck with that. <laughs> By the way, did we mention you're a bastard? Also- You're a bastard, Bash. Bash the bastard. <laughs> Bastard Bash. Yeah, I want you guys to know that during this tonal shift, this very serious scene where a man is killed, she finds, she has to confront the reality that she was almost raped and if she had been, not only would she have had the traumatic experience, she also would have, it would have ruined her, her life, basically nobody would marry her because life sucked. Uh, and all this is happening, all this dramatic stuff, she is wearing... The most ridiculous dress of the entire show. It is both the most inaccurate and the ugliest. It's like a pink lace top with flowers, like big daisies embroidered on it. It's like, yo, a Claire's Boutique from 1992 called and they want their shirt back. Like, it's, seriously, Delia's called and said, hey, dial it back. Dial it back. Like, this is so ridiculous. It's got big cartoon flowers embroidered on it. It's... It's absurd. And she's standing there wearing this, the least queenly shirt she could, going, he is my subject, I demand to speak to him, wearing this ridiculous, oh my god. I wanted to just give up on life. When I was in high school, I made an epic sword and sorcery fantasy movie with all of my friends. Oh my god. Like, with vampires and werewolves and elves and fairies and stuff. It is, someday maybe posted on YouTube. Uh, Oh, But when making it, I wrote the costuming direction to all my cast, wear something from your own closet that you think someone from the 1800s would be comfortable wearing if they suddenly woke up in your body. I thought this was a reasonable request. As I got older, I was like, no one would ever run a set that way. No one would ever tell their cast to do this. Yeah. No one would ever do this in a professional setting until I saw this pilot. <laughs> yeah, that shirt easily could have... I, w- I want to say it could have come out of the closet of one of the actresses. Except not in 2013. I don't think. Right. I don't think... Not even Forever 21 would carry that shit today. <laughs> Go and- in your mom's closet. <laughs> hey, 2006 at the absolute latest yeah. is when this shirt could have been made. Anyway. The next day, uh, Francis approaches Mary... And kind of accuses her of being with Colin by choice. Like, 
a man was found in your bed? Why? And she's like, excuse me? And he's like, well, I think I know the answer, but I want to hear it from you. And it's like, yo, just because you have a mistress doesn't mean she's, like, boinking other dudes. And she actually says probably the most anachronistic dialogue line. She goes, you think I was with Colin to get back at you? And for some reason, the phrase get back at you seemed more anachronistic than anything else they said <laughs> in the show. And basically she says, look, he died. Leave me alone. I'm upset. And he starts to give her this lecture about you can't behave like this. And then he lets it slip. What, what he, I mean, basically lets it slip that he kind of does like her by saying, look, you can't behave like this. Because if, if he had been caught with you and it had been even slightly more compromising mm -hmm. a situation, we wouldn't be able to get married even if things go the way we want. And she goes, the way we want. And he's like, you know, yeah. she goes, well, how would that be? And he's like, look, it doesn't look, it, it doesn't matter. And, but she goes, no, if you weren't the future queen, king of France and I wasn't the queen of anything, would you want this? Basically, if we were just two normal people, would you like me? And they have this moment where they almost kiss and he goes, no, I will not do this and just leaves. So basically he is really trying to, he reveals that, yes, he does like her. He is attracted to her. He is into her. But he also recognizes there's a very real chance that they will not end up getting married. And so he doesn't want to get attached to her, which honestly seems pretty reasonable. She yeah. seems like the one who's being unreasonable in this scenario. But again, again like to, it's like a likable characterization mm -hmm. and reason. Like It makes him likable. It doesn't really make her likable, though. And she's the right. main character of right. the show. But in terms of like a contrived TV drama, will they, won't they... Thing yeah. that could have a lot of outside forces acting yeah. upon a relationship. I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying it's well executed. I'm just saying as a hook of we can't let our feelings thing because. But we may. But blah, blah, blah. Yeah. like it just seems to work. Yeah, I guess. I'm glad it worked for you. <laughs> Barely. Anyway, Queen Catherine has been has been watching this exchange with the castle. She's not excited about this. Seeing that her son does have feelings for this woman, she's convinced she's going to kill him. She then approaches Nostradamus, and we learn the whole drugged wine and rape scenario was their doing. It was their scheme. He came up. He made the potion. She's like, what happened? She wasn't supposed to wake up. And Nostradamus is like, eh, nothing wrong with my potion. I'm the best at potions. Obviously, she just didn't drink it or something like that. So he then seems to actually kind of feel regret about Colin's death. He's like, stupid boy that we conned into this. Now he's dead, all to protect his people, implying that maybe Catherine threatened his family, and told him he had to do this or she would wreck them or something like that. Um, he seems to feel regret about this, but then Catherine has, uh, maybe the first moment where she does seem a little, like, real and not conniving, she kind of begs him, have your visions changed? Yeah. Because, like, she doesn't want to do this? And then he's the one who goes, no. Mary will absolutely bring about Francis's death. You must not relent. You have to continue. Like, he's the one who's saying, no, no, you absolutely need to keep trying to ruin this girl. So it's yeah. it's hard to know where Nostradamus actually falls here as a character and, like, what his motivations are. Does he actually have these visions? Does he believe in his visions? Catherine clearly believes implicitly in his visions. Yeah. It's hard to say whether he does or not. Yeah, it's... it seems like he does, but then he has this moment where he's like, ugh, that poor stupid boy who died for no reason... But also, he, well, he died because you're the one who insisted that Mary's going to bring about Francis' death. I don't know. The last scene, 
Mary's reflecting on the new normal. So she's alone, like out in the elements, no one else is around, and then she senses a presence behind her. Apparently. Does not turn around. No. Knows it's Bertha, apparently. Yeah, we both knows that there is someone behind her and with absolute assurance knows it is this mystery girl who we see in a flash of lightning. This is how I remembered. This is the first time we see she is definitely wearing some kind of rough mask of yeah. fabric because we see a, a flash of lightning lights up and shows her face. Mary, though, is absolutely positive this is who it is. Yeah, and she's like, it's you. I, I owe you a debt. You saved my life. You know, I owe you this debt of gratitude. Yeah. I am in such great peril here. Are you also in peril? And only then does she turn around... But Bertha has Batman the fuck off and is nowhere to be seen. Yeah. Despite the fact that they're in a pretty open area. Yeah. Bertha has vanished. <laughs> and I'm so glad you suggested this reference because otherwise yeah. I didn't have a cute name for I was gonna call her the girl in the cotton mask or something like oh, that. Oh, it was it was Bertha Mason. It for was me very from the man in mask esque, yeah. except she's just wearing like a burlap sack. Yeah, it's like it, it the, her commitment to not seeing this girl with her own eyes yeah. is contrived and awkward. She doesn't pull the screen aside until the girl is safely in the corridor, the yeah. secret corridor. She doesn't turn around until the girl's walked away. It's it's just very obvious that the show is trying to avoid Mary actually seeing this girl, but didn't come up with any good excuses for why she wouldn't. And that is the show. <laughs> and credits, yeah. Let's move on to where do you think they spent that money? Oh, gee, I mean, not the costumes. Not the sets. I don't know. They definitely shot on location. In I suppose like a lot of location shooting yeah, could be. Yeah, there, there was a lot of outdoor location that's shooting. That's true. And that's less cheap than sets. Yeah. Now that I think about it, you're absolutely right. And I'm pretty, well, I guess I don't know for sure. Now going, I don't remember it clearly enough to be committed about it. I was going to say it seemed like one or two of the indoor scenes might have been shot at an actual castle of some sort. But now I'm not convinced. They might have all been... Yeah. Sets, sound yeah. stages. There was a lot of reuse of like the same like stairway. Mm -hmm. uh, the some of those stairways. Hall room. Good point. The, some of those stairways surely must have been an, an actual old house of some kind or yeah. castle. But it, it seems like it, but just, maybe not. I don't know. Not the costumes is the answer. Not the costumes for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's just. Like, it was all Megan follows. She she really commands a high price these days. I guess I, yeah, this, honestly, this is probably of all the pilots we've watched, like including Doogie Howser, everything like this one looks the cheapest. While simultaneously having the most obvious ways they could have been spending money on lavish historical costumes and sets and yeah. stuff like that. They should have had to spend so much money and yet they clearly were like pinching every penny. And there's just like, there's a lot of fast edit like montagey stuff, which again, like a lot of montage stuff without dialogue. Yeah. Just like music. Girls putting on makeup and yeah. all this shit. There's a yeah. lot of that. Ugh. Oh, boy. Clips and chips. I do not know enough about the historical thing. I know that Francis does die. Mm-hmm. But I think they did get married. I think they get married and then he dies. But I'm not totally sure. But also, I don't know if that's going to happen. Now, and now I've seen that line about the reason that they picked her is because she had so many different husbands. Mm -hmm. So clearly the show isn't going to all be her and Francis. But I don't know about the timeline or how much they adhered to the historical timeline. So I, Which, obviously, not very much. But the season one end with Francis dying? 
is the what the fuck is going on in the woods the season one reveal it i mean probably that at least will be revealed by the end of the what 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 diane and sebastian are up to in the woods yeah with blood and that that brings me to like i guess more than like any sort of will they won't they things with this show the thing that i'm most curious about is like is this like a magical realism or like is there actually magic stuff happening yeah, because that's, again, that's the thing. I wasn't convinced about, are we supposed to believe that Nostradamus in this version of reality has real powers and has real visions that come true? Yeah. Like, how much of this is legit and how much of this is going to turn out he's, like, a con artist? The show did not make it clear. There was no point where they tipped their hand, except that he goes, she's coming. So he clearly knew that, that Mary was coming. That's the closest we get to a sign that he knows what he's doing. Right. We don't know whether his potion... To make Elizabeth pregnant worked, obviously. We wouldn't know that yet. We don't know whether his drugged wine would have worked or not because she doesn't drink it. So we have seen no proof yet that he knows what he's doing, except that Catherine trusts him. So he must have done something to convince her in yeah. the past, but we don't know. The audience doesn't know. Ditto for the whole Bertha Mason storyline. Like, does she actually have some sort of, like, super strength ninja powers, or she just, like, knows the castle really well. I, th- I think that's going to be, she just knows the castle really well. And they want it to be dramatic. Like, there's yeah. no reason for that, except that it's very dramatic when someone turns around and the person is gone, and then right. there's a crash of lightning. Like, that's the only reason that that happens. I'm pretty convinced there's not going to be any sort of magic in the show, except maybe that Nostradamus has real visions. I frankly find myself not caring about... Yeah any of these people. Mm -hmm. Usually when we watch a show like this, like I basically remember everyone's names. Like I got very invested in Lola, but I think it's mostly because she's played by Anna Catherine Popplewell, who was Susan Pavenzi in the Chronicles of Narnia live action films. And the actress I thought she looked a bit familiar, but I didn't bother to look her up. I didn't see those movies, so Mm -hmm. it's not that. But I felt like she had something, she seemed... uh, Likeable, yeah. Yeah, and the actress is the same age as me, so, like, when those Chronicles of Narnia movies came out, like, I had, like, a big fat crush on her, and, like, thought she was great. So, like, in the show, like, I was investing in that character, mostly because she was, like, the only familiar face, really, Mm -hmm. um, other than uh, Mr. Sutherland, who, obviously, I did not like. Also, Anna Popplewell is a great name. It's such a great name. She should play Doctor Who. Do you have any other cliffs and ships? No, I, I honestly, I am kind of curious who Bertha Mason really is. Uh-huh. I am curious what that story is all about, especially because I'm like, is this another thing they made up for the show like Sebastian, or is this based on some kind of history thing? Did they have some kind of secret child who was disfigured? Because it's not like that was unreasonable completely for the time, but yeah, I kind of curious about that. Obviously, I'm a little curious what the hell... Diane and Sebastian are doing in the woods, but just because they were so cryptic about it. They just say, all we get are, he was drawn by the blood. How close did you get? Like, those are the only lines that we get, so it's like, wait, what? What's happening? They're secretly controlling the country's supply of blood pudding in an (laughs) effort to influence the market. Yeah, they're, they're influencing Scotland by controlling the flow of blood pudding. They obviously made it very vague on purpose to grab you. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I'm kind of curious about that. 
I'm a soft heart. So part of me is like, oh, I want to see Francis and Mary work it out. But I know historically he's going to die. So I, I can't get that invested in it. Honestly, I nothing about this show made me want to watch. When the episode ended, I had that feeling of, oh, no, it's over. In that, wait, but I have so many questions they didn't answer. Yeah. Not in a, oh, I gotta have more of that. Because yeah. some shows end and you're like, well, I'm done. Like yeah. Doogie Hauser mentioned, it wasn't a bad show, but it left me with no questions. It left yeah. me not wanting to see anything. Like, I don't need to see any more of these characters or any more of this premise. I'm fine never seeing any more of that. Not because I hated it. Fra uh, Frasier, I was like, oh, I want no more of this, please. Uh -huh. Please go away. Uh, same with Zagrassi. But yeah, with this, I was like, I have questions. I'm annoyed they didn't answer them. I don't want to watch any more of this show to get those answers. Yeah, this is, I, I guess we're doing final verdicts right now. Oh, yeah, I guess we're moving on so to final verdicts. That, yeah. that is almost like, I don't really have a lot to add to that. Yeah. That's pretty much how I feel. The only thing that would make me watch more is just the absolute absolutely bizarre stylistic choices that are yeah. happening with this. Like I I probably will end up doing a little research on my own like Wikipedia, YouTube, something to see if the st the bizarre stylistic stuff continues because there's something in that that's very compelling to me, but in terms <laughs> okay. of the writing and the story of what's happening, like from a craft the craft of it is compellingly weird. But all of yeah, the story, no, the characters, the writing, like, it's a definite no. Like, I'm not... Yeah. I think I'm just, like, desperately trying to find some reason to not feel like I wasted an hour watching the show. Yeah, I honestly... I, when the episode ended, I went, okay. I don't want to watch any more of the show, because I don't think I would particularly enjoy watching more of the show. However, it is on Netflix, and knowing me... If I ran out of anything else to watch and I was ever in the right mood for some trash, I could see myself possibly watching one or maybe two more episodes. But I could also imagine me starting another episode and then being like, nah. <laughs> I, could, uh, I could watch more just out of morbid curiosity. All right. Well, there we go. Oh, I have one more thing to say. Oh, of course. It's just because I read, read this in my research and I never managed to squeeze this little fact in and I need you to know it and I need the audience to know it because it is so absurd and bizarre and confusing. Uh-huh. After reading the line about them choosing Mary as the subject because she had lots of husbands and therefore her story could be sexy, which you're already like, sigh to the bottom of your toes, I read this sentence, which is that the actor who played King Henry said in an interview that he based his performance on Bill Clinton. <laughs> Just let that sink in. Why? Uh, he, uh, yeah, a man in a position of uh, power who uh, had affairs with younger women. I guess he just went, who, who can I think of like that? Oh, only Bill Clinton, apparently. Even though that's just a trope. That's just a type of man who has existed from time yeah, immemorial. Yeah. This guy apparently went... Oddly specific. So, like, does yeah. King Henry play a saxophone later in the series? <laughs> like, what is the... I'm like, in what way? Because it's not like I read that and went, oh, I can see how he was going for that vibe. No, it went, excuse me? In what way? Also, I can't imagine, like, Bill Clinton, his personality as a celebrity, as a figure, a public figure, was a very, like, kind of, gee, folksy, folksy sort of, yeah. hey, I'm sort of fun, look at me, I play the saxophone, I'm kind of jokey. 
I'm a kind of a fun president. So it's like, I can't see King Henry of France being like, hey, check me out. I play a, uh, I play one of those old timey trumpets that doesn't have any buttons. Yeah. I, uh... get, get me, get me. Hey, I'm announcing myself. You know, it's like, I, I'm like, in what freaking way? At some point in the show, King Henry is going to ask someone to define the word is. I guess that's where we're going with this. He doesn't remember that. Yeah. I, remember I do that. not recall. Oh, my gosh. I do not recall. I'm sorry. What was her name? Posh Spice? Never met her. Well, dear listeners, <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pilot House. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pilot House Pod. Or check out our website at pilothousepodcast.com or email us at pilothousepodcast at gmail.com. We're especially looking forward to getting those emails with all of your thoughts in long form. Yeah. Like, I would like a long essay refuting my dislike of Brad Silverling. Please explain to us the cinematic value of Brad Silverling. Also, if you like the podcast and you're enjoying this delightful free content that we enjoy bringing to you, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash pilothouse and you can make a little donation to the show if uh, that's something that you would like to do. Buy us a coffee. That's so. it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you in two weeks when our episode will be about something hopefully a little bit more high-minded. Yeah, we'll drop it in here. here. <laughs> Even though we have never done that. And scene. Oh, bye! bye. <laughs>